Coming up on episode 281 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Ram 1500 Rebel, the Mazda 3 Turbo, buttons are better than screens, the rotary is finally back for the Mazda MX-30 plug-in hybrid, Toyota powers an AE86 with hydrogen, Mercedes is looking to ditch its particular... Mercedes wants to ditch its EV badges. We've got the winners of the North American Car Truck and Utility of the Year Award. The Corvette E-Ray is finally real. And I've got a conversation with Sanjay Ravi, the General Manager of Automotive and Transportation at Microsoft, to talk about the metaverse. All that and more coming up next. I'm Sam Abuel Salmon from Guide House Insights. I am Nicole Wakelin from Let's Go Newsweek's Fast Women podcast today. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Ars Technica. And Nicole, I uh, actually just saw yes. you here in town uh, a few days ago. You, you managed to uh, get successfully exit Detroit after the uh, North American yeah. Truck of the Year Awards. After I, I flew in the day that the FAA was like, nope, we're not playing today. And so <laughs> it was, uh, I got, and it was the strangest thing because I got onto the plane and everything's normal. It was like a really early flight, like five o'clock in the morning. And I sit down, I'm all ready to go. I got my little deck hook. I got my laptop open. I plug my little thing into the back of the headrest so I can watch the news. And it's like, flight's grounded. I'm like, wait, we did take off, right? I'm looking out the window. I'm like, nope, we're in the air. So I don't know how we like You, you were one of the out. last ones to, to squeak yeah. out there, there. I swear we must have just must have been like, let those guys take off. She needs to hand out an award. Okay, now shut it down. Um, <laughs> and then they opened it back up sometime while I was in Detroit. Yeah, I got, got home no problem. I went All to right. hand out the North American. American truck of the year, which I think no one was surprised to see it went to the F one fifty Lightning. That was yeah, my job. That's, I mean, come well, on. It, it was it was an odd year for the, particularly for the truck category because for yes. North American Car and Truck of the Year, Car Truck and Utility of the Year. Yes. Um, you know they they have the three categories, and this year there were literally only three trucks, and and if I'm not mistaken, I think the third entry in there, they kind of had you know they. Under normal circumstances, they might not have included the 2022 Chevy Silverado because it was just kind of a mild mid-cycle refresh. Yeah, it was it was a tricky year because of exactly that. And, you know, I can't remember how far back it, it didn't used to be that utility and truck were separated at one point. Yeah, it's only about six or seven years ago. Yeah, it's relatively recent thing that they've decided to do. And I guess when they decided to, I wasn't a juror at the time. And I guess when they decided, like, you know, we could run into a situation not always all new trucks, enough new trucks to do this. They're like, no, 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 we think we'll be fine. And we're like, well, this year's going to be a little bit, a little bit, a little bit weird, a little bit, you know, stretching things a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that I get to announce the Ford F-150 Lightning is the winner. I would have, I think, honestly, if I'd opened the envelope and it had said something else, I would have been shocked because not because the others are well, terrible I mean, vehicles, but I mean, geez, Louise, the F-150 Lightning is fantastic. I, I'm, you know? Frankly, I'm shocked that the Lordstown Endurance didn't win. <laughs> Come on, man! It's early. Are you? That was that was you, you who in the audience who went <gasps> when I oh, made no. the announcement. Yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah. me. What? <laughs> so yeah, so no. the, the Kia EV6 won for utility, and the Acura Integra won for car, which is kind of cool. The Acura because it was I'm going to mess up the years. They told me it's like the first time they've won an award in like. 20 years or something. It's a very long Acura? time. Since, yeah. It was like the, 
MDX or something like that. I mean, it's been a very, 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 very long time. And it's the first time a sedan has ever won for Acura. So they were excited. I love it when it's so cute. Like when everybody wins, you know, there's all the OEMs who have like top three finalists. there sitting in the audience and, you know, you make the announcement. And of course the winning OEMs like, yay, go us. Woohoo. Yay. And every claps. But when Acura wins, it's like, wow. They're like screaming like they it was so cute that everyone else was so reserved and Acura was just like lost their minds. It was really fun. Let's party. Let's party. Yeah. Another um, unique aspect this year, um, you know, is of the nine finalists across the three categories, five were battery electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, and, And in the utilities, all three, you know, you had the Cadillac Lyric the Genesis GV60 and the Kia EV6. Yep. Yeah, so it was, what I thought was neat about that is, you know, there's sort of this, I know, you know, love EVs, hate EVs, whatever, acceptance is growing, but it's still not, you know, people are still leery of EVs. You know, people who, like, we listen, people who listen to the podcast, probably not so much. You, all of us, not so much, because we're we're used to them. We see them all the time. We know them, we're comfortable with them. We know a lot about them. The general public, not so much. So to have that many EVs that were that good and worthy of getting the award and to bring that sort of to the public's, general public's attention a little bit more, like these are electric vehicles that are winning these awards and they were competing against a bunch of other electric vehicles is sort of a neat thing for the industry, I think, and for EVs in general to sort of show an acceptance level and sort of progress that they've made to where it's no longer, there's an EV on the list. It's like, no, there's a whole bunch of them. Like it's, it was like, yeah, whole bunch of EVs because they're just that good. And they're that sort of normal in the market anymore. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive. Um, Do do you happen to know, uh, I'm I'm curious in the truck category, um, do you happen to know what the uh, the final tally was in terms of votes? Okay, or I do know the final tally, and I'm going to be cagey because I can't remember what they actually authorized us to release the full numbers or not, and I don't want to say something I'm not supposed to say. Okay. So I don't. I, I feel I can't remember whether they said they were releasing just the total for what the F-150 got or all of them. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I know in the like, past they have, but I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to try and get. Yeah, you there was there was some debate there. So let's just say the F-150 did quite well. And I if if I can confirm that the numbers are out there next week, I'll give you exact numbers and, and let you know. But, yeah, I don't want to uh, put that yeah, out there. For uh, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the site. And, Did we put them um, up? Well, it, it, it only has the number of votes for uh, the winners. So that's what I thought. For, OK, for the lightning in truck of the year, it got four hundred and thirty three votes. Uh, by comparison, the Kia EV6 in utility got 258, and the Integra got 174, mm-hmm. which kind of implies that um, the the Lightning was a runaway, and the the car category was probably pretty close between the Integra, the Genesis G80 EV, and um, what was the Z, the, the Nissan oh, the Z. Nissan Z, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that tells a lot just seeing the numbers, but I think they, yeah, they were debating not putting out the full numbers for each one this year. It looks like that's what they did. So we'll stick with that. I'll keep it secret, secret. All right. <laughs> secret, secret. Secret, secret. So, gotcha, so one, gotcha. once you got back home, what mm-hmm. were you, what have you been driving? Uh, not an EV for the first time in three weeks. I did not have an EV. I had the 2023 Mazda 3 2.5 turbo all-wheel drive hatchback. 
with premium plus package. Ooh. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Uh, which I really like. I like Mazda's as a rule. I, what I think Mazda does is they give you a very, they give you sort of a premium feel uh, inside. They're very sort of sleek. They're nicely designed. They're warm. They're not very, they're not sterile cars. They have nice features and they look and feel good. And they always have a little bit of a sportiness to it. You know, Mazda's big on the idea that you're not driving a car as an appliance to get from point A to point B. Sure, you need to do that, but you're going to enjoy that drive while you're doing it. And so Mazda tends to make the cars look like that in a sort of, like the front seats aren't just flat seats. They're sort of like a bucket seat. So they hold you a little bit without being something that's going to squish you. Um, Because there's a balance there between sporty bucket seats that hold you in place if you take a corner a little bit more aggressively to, oh, dear God, I feel like I'm in a corset. Like, they're nice. I like how the ones in the Mazda 3 feel. Um, So it's, and it's a sporty, you know, that sporty thing goes to the speed, to the acceleration. It handles well. I mean, you can take it on, we have a lot of twisty, turny roads back here. You can take it on those roads and have a little fun with it. And it just handles beautifully. Um, I also got to do something that I love doing. We do for the New England Motor Press Association. We do a lot of we have a winter vehicle um, of the year that we do. We have a bunch of different categories. So we get a lot of vehicles to really test because we get winter normally. Um, this year, we haven't had much winter. But finally, we got some snow. We got uh, it all out here now. I know. So, you got yeah, all the winter welcome. weird California weather. So thanks for taking that off our plate. Um, so we have we had a little bit of snow and ice. So it was the kind of the messy winter weather that people hate to drive in because even though it wasn't deep snow, it was packed, icy mess on the road. And so, of course, I did what I always do when the weather's like that and I have a car ticket on, drove it. Um, and it handled beautifully. It really did handle well. It didn't have trouble. You know, you, you don't, you feel like you don't lose your grip. Like when you accelerate from a stop, I had, there's this hill coming out of the grocery store where there's a bit of a hill and there's a stoplight. And if you get stopped in just the right spot, it can be a real bear to go up that because you're just the doesn't matter the car they don't like it it's the, the everything is just so to have you spin your wheels a little bit physics will win every time yes and there is a spot on that hill where i'm like oh this is the physics spot yes so i ended up stuck right in that spot but i didn't get stuck i just stopped and when it was time to go and the light changed i had no problem going um no wheel slip at, ever, at all and i could see other vehicles around me spinning their tires trying to get up this little hill is it on uh, so, winter tires or all seasons? I was just going to look and see. I don't know whether on winters or all seasons, but I mean, I've done it in my own car in winter tires. I've had winter tires spin on that stupid hill. Um, like, uh, 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 nope, it doesn't say winter tires yeah, on my probably, list. Probably won't say on the on the Monroney because uh, yeah. it ships with all seasons. But I don't know if they uh, the fleet company there. Yeah, sometimes we get all seasons. Yeah. I mean, it is. And we do get a mix just because I have a car in the winter doesn't mean I'm going to get winter tires on it. I, you know, it is. So it might be all seasons on this. Again, it's all wheel drive. Maybe they put winters. Who knows? But it did handle really well. Um, and it's a fun car to drive. You know, it's it's quiet, even in the slushy rain mess that after the snow started to melt. And it's that can be really loud driving around in that. Um, it was a nice, quiet ride. I the back. This is technically going to have five people. It's got a front seat and a back seat. But it's the back seat's really small. I mean, once you, even for me at five, six, when I have the front seat pushed back to a point where um, I'm comfortable, sure, you could sit behind me, but I don't think Robbie could. Like his knees yeah. would be squished. Like, why? Why yeah. do you hate me? Exactly. Why have you done this to me? What you have I done? Be, you would be smooshed in the back seat. So it's sort of like back seat in a pinch, <laughs> smooshed, like smooshed, Robbie. Um, so it's not something if you're going to have people in the rear seats a lot uh, that you, 
really want to consider this. It's just a little bit too small. Even kids, like the thing is you think when you have, and my kids are long grown, but when kids sit in car seats, people seem to think, well, I can get a really small car because they're in a car seat. But if you've ever seen where the kids feet actually hit in a car seat because they're up higher and they're mm-hmm. not down low, they will actually right be like the toes of their shoes are right against the backs of the front seat. So it almost squishes their little feet too. So you, it, it's really something to consider like, okay, I have kids. doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Put your kids in the car seat in the back and see if they still sit or if the way they are, that might actually be worse for them than for Robbie potentially. And also kicking. Yes. The kicking <laughs> and how much you value your back seats looking like whatever, the backs of your front seats looking like whatever your kids last walk through, whether it's mud or grass <laughs> or salt or snow or whatever, just being coated on the backs of those seats. Get, get the thing. Like we have this for our dogs. It's just a big thing we bought that just covers the entire back seat. <laughs> there is. And it I, still has all the holes for the seat belts and stuff. So when, yeah. you know, so yeah, you can, they like, do make those. I know people or, have those. You but, should get that for your kid. <laughs> but, then, but a kid, somehow, they have them you can put over the, like over the, over the seat backs, but, and you can put them like over the seats, but, um, from experience with other parents where the spots where the little things, the holes for the seat belts and everything to come through, you'd be surprised the amount of kid food and gunk that can just go directly into that little spot. So when you do take that off, it's now like, it's all been concentrated (laughs) right there. (laughs) Cheerios find a way is what you're telling me. Yes. Cheerios. Cheerios. Once you latch them in, just tape it all in. I know just like duct tape it entirely. This will land somewhere. Yes, somewhere. No matter what you do, the one spot put a that you have it protected is like there's there's one square inch in the entire car that is revealed. That is exactly where all the nastiest stuff is going to go right to that. That's one. where they're going to vomit. That's like, directly that at happen? that. Yeah, it's going to be like on the front of the car. They're, how did they get that up there? Well, you know, you didn't cover that spot. Kids so, find a way. Yeah, and and I still am not. You know, I'm not keen on the spinny dial for the Mazda infotainment system. I find it a little wonky to operate. Um, not my favorite infotainment system feature. I feel like I fight with it no. every time. And I say all the time, I know Mazda <laughs> says that after a very short time that owners get very accustomed to it and they love it and say it's not a problem, it becomes super intuitive. Um, in the many times I've driven a Mazda, I have yet to reach that level of intuition. Uh, so it does not get easier for me. I'm stuck at a certain point and that's where I apparently am going to stay. Um, and that's, I mean, also, most people are plugging their phones in. So it becomes very, like, you know, twisting and pushing and tapping. Well, not tapping, just to get to, like, you know, your playlist. And then we go back to then we go back to to Google Maps. and you're But I did like that it didn't. I think I mentioned last week that on the steering wheel of the EQ, oh, God, whatever it was, the EQ, whatever. S, thank you. I'm like, I'm driving a blank. What was it? EQ... Uh, S last week that it has little tiny touch pads like the size of your pinky nail that you can swipe your finger back and forth to change the volume and I kept like turning the steering wheel and I would accidentally brush it and turn the volume all the way up and scare the daylights out of myself. <laughs> this one just has an actual little toggle switch. I was like, thank you very much, Mazda, for actually putting a switch on the steering wheel to control that. That made me happy. I liked that. <laughs> so, oh, and for pricing, we are looking at $35,300, so not crazy. Um, okay, delivery processing and handling fee, gentlemen? $1,200. Sam? $1,290. Uh, no, wait, you both lose. You can't go over, right? Yeah, no. Is it okay. 
No, it was 1065. Ooh. I was closest. Ooh, an odd one. Yeah, I know. 1065, right? They were messing with you. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so not crazy exorbitant. I love it when they're under a a thousand now. Like, it's like, could be like 999. I'm like, yes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that, so you're looking. It won't last. No. Um, So, and there are a couple little extras. There was snowflake white pearl paint for $400 and a rear, a stainless rear bumper guard that put another 135 bucks. So, all told, 36895 for the 2023. Pay money for white paint. Especially it's when not, Mazda has Robbie, the best red. Robbie, yeah. it's not white. Um, it's snowflake white pearl. Has the word white in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One, once it's covered with road salt, it's just white. It's just white. Right. Yeah. It did. The interior actually was prettier. It has these like uh, sort of burgundy-ish red seats. There, I, I love the burgundy trim. It's just this really color that really pops, especially with the fact that it is white. On the outside, you open the door and you see the red on the inside, and it's a really... It adds, again, that sort of a little bit of a luxury kind of appeal, makes it look like your car's a little fancy. Excellent. There you go. There's your Mazda 3. All right. Mazda 3. um, Robbie, apparently your BMW i7 you were supposed to have this week uh, got broken by somebody else. I don't don't know exactly (laughs) if it got broken by someone else. I just know that it's broken. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to cast blame it could have shown up broken something so else maybe, could have happened maybe bmw broke broke it maybe bmw broke it maybe i don't know um i yeah i don't want to i don't want to because there's only like two other people in, in the bay area <laughs> cast dispersions on your fellow automotive journalists. yeah i don't want to be like you know who did this that guy that guy he did it dang it I always forget about people. I guess there's people in Sacramento which, who I always forget about because pff, who remembers Sacramento? Really? <laughs> well, uh, I had uh, a bright red um, Ram Rebel 1500, a Ram 1500 Rebel, um, which is, you know, it, it, it's it's a fairly standard, in terms of size, it's a fairly standard sized, you know, full-size pickup, crew cab, short bed. Um, you know, it, it's... It's a good-looking truck, um, but uh, you know they they come standard with the 3.6-liter Pentastar V8. The one I had had the optional 5.7-liter Hemi with e-torque, which is their 48-volt mild hybrid system. And um, despite having a degree of hybridization in there, this was a thirsty beast. <laughs> no, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. Highway driving, I was able to get it up to a about just over 14 miles per gallon. On yeah. the highway. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Overall combined uh, was about 12.7, uh, which is, uh, I mean, fortunately, you know, gas prices have uh, moderated around here. Their regular is about 350, 360 a gallon around, around here. Uh, but that's still a lot of gas to be consuming. That's know. a I remember when gas was like six something here, and I would see people flying around in their giant full size trucks, with like Hemi's just like doing like eighties on the eighty on the free. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Do you know? Slow down. <laughs> Are <laughs> you, you know crazy? How much money you're spending? You're only going to get there like thirty seconds quicker. Chill out. <laughs> yeah. So um, the uh, the the 2015 um, or 2020. 2023 Ram 1500 um, with four-wheel drive and the Hemi V8 
is EPA rated at 17 city, 19 combined, 22 highway. So you're now, a little low. Of course, you know, the Rebel is the off-roady version of this. Um, you know, it's uh, oh. it's got all-terrain tires. It sits a little bit higher uh, than the standard 1500. So, I, you know, I wouldn't expect it to hit 19. But, you know, 14 is definitely, that's a thirsty beast. Yes. Um, which is... You know, this is a big part of why Stellantis is, you know, making such a big push to finally go electric uh, because corporate average fuel economy requirements are continuing to increase every year. And uh, Stellantis for and Fiat Chrysler before that has been at the very bottom of that list for pretty much the last decade. Um, and, uh, and, and the gap seems to, seems to have grown. I think last year they were at like 21.3 miles per gallon uh, combined. <laughs> When the the requirement was about tw- uh, twenty five, I think for the fleet average. Wow! So most of Tesla's money came from FCA. Yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah, much. Mo- most of, cert- most of their profits, at least, came from came from FCA. FCA has bought a lot of uh, credits uh, from Stellantis or from uh, from Tesla. Yeah. Um, so aside from fuel economy, this is a really good truck. Uh, you know, it the one I had was equipped with the optional. Uh, four-wheel air spring suspension system. Uh, the, it's got the eight-speed automatic transmission that is standard across all of these vehicles. Um, let's see. Uh, it had the optional uh, electronic uh, shift-on-demand transfer case. So you could, there's just you know a knob and a couple of buttons that you can use to shift it between two-wheel drive high, four-wheel drive high, and four-wheel drive low. Uh, you do have to come to a stop before you go from four high to four low. Um, and that, surprisingly enough, is only a hundred and ninety-five dollar option. Um, the oh, air suspension nice. is eighteen hundred bucks. Ouch, uh, that's a lot. But this one also yeah. had the the optional uh, thirty-three gallon fuel tank, which you know at that fuel Oof. economy is probably a wise <laughs> wise investment at four hundred. You're going to appreciate bucks. that. Yeah. Uh, it had the technology group with the heads-up display uh, for eleven hundred bucks. The night edition for eighteen ninety-five. Which gets you a black ram grill, um, eighteen inch gloss black wheels, and a black front bumper with black plate and matte black grill um, with ram badge, which it says twice here. So you get the black ram. Oh, you get the ram grill, the black grill badge, and the matte black grill with ram badge for, for eighteen hundred bucks. I'm sorry, who's on first? Okay, if you say matte so. Matte grill, vamp. Yeah. Okay. I didn't have the advanced safety group, so no adaptive cruise control or lane keep assist. Uh, but it did have the, the big 12-inch uh, Uconnect touchscreen system and the GT package for three grand. Uh, all in, um, you know, well, first, let me just say, like I said, this thing actually has surprisingly good ride comfort considering the off-road capability that it has. Uh, it, it didn't have any kind of uh, running boards or step-up, so it's, it's a, you know, Pretty much, even for me, you know, I was grabbing the uh, either the steering wheel or the grab handle on the A pillar <laughs> to to climb up into this thing. Um, but the seats are really comfortable. There's a ton of room in the back seat. You know, it's it's like limo size room in the back seat of these uh, these modern crew cab trucks. So, so you can like just pick people up to help you pay for gas. They're, yeah, hey, you need exactly. a ride somewhere. Give me a ride. Give me, give me yeah. ten bucks. I'll give you a ride. <laughs> or you know, you, you put you put your kid seats in there, and there is no way that you know unless your kid is exceptionally tall um, that they're going to be kicking you in the back of the seat because you know, it's it, <laughs> we're talking a 
large amount of room there. It's it's slightly roomier than the Mazda three. It is. You could, uh, put a I think you could pretty much there. put a Mazda three back in there. <laughs> in the back seats, just tuck yeah. it right in there. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> let's see what else. Um, this one also had the uh, the the trifold tonneau cover, the spray and bed liner, all kinds of other stuff. Bad. Um, it you know it feels very premium inside, and the you know the Ram trucks you know for a long time have had a premium feel that you just don't get from GM or Ford or Toyota or Nissan. Um, you know, yeah. it, it feels it feels more expensive, um, and they so, ride so much nicer than they that. really yeah. do. I mean, you know, as a daily driver, I think I would probably prefer to have a Ram truck over anything else, just based on the ride quality. Although it will use more more fuel than any of the competitors. <laughs> so the uh, so you'll be comfier and riding in a nicer vehicle, but you will pay for it. <laughs> yes, right, thirty and, miles an hour and everywhere. If, and if you want one equipped like this, uh, this flame red Ram Rebel that I had, uh, oh gosh, you're looking at eighty thousand five hundred and fifty-five dollars. Ouch! Oh, trucks yeah. are so expensive. Ouch. Just buy a Maverick. I'm just going to keep saying. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely. I mean, you could buy four Mavericks for the price of this thing. Four Mavericks. Get, get or, one or like could, cheap Maverick and then like one really expensive Maverick and yeah, then like you, a you could, Honda you could, Accord. You could get, I guess you I could get three. You could get you know you could get the the base XL hybrid for great fuel economy. You could get the the fully loaded Tremor, um, you know, and you know a mid level XLT. Uh, so you know no matter what kind of mood you're in, you'd have a a, a, a Maverick that fits you. You mood. could just pick the Maverick for the moment and still come out ahead on price. Right. And, and between the three of them, you've got more payload. Than this truck has. <laughs> just hook them all up together. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, just distribute the payload across the, th- the beds of the three trucks. Just a, so yeah, got- just a tow bar for each. <laughs> get two tow bars. <laughs> Where you doing? God, I'm taking my choo-choo train, Maverick choo-choo train to the uh, <laughs> to the Home Depot. Well, no, I think in terms of towing, the the Ram would probably still beat it. But just uh, payload, yeah. like you know, for your bags of mulch. You know, you could yeah. distribute bags of mulch across the three Mavericks and be able to carry more bags of mulch than you could put in the Ram. So, so you know, for the same price, you get more uh, more mulch carrying capability with three That's Mavericks true. than you do with a single. <laughs> and if you just take one that Maverick to the, to the Home Depot and you have to go back and forth like three times, you still will save you money. You still can yes. get out ahead on gas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yep. Uh, any guesses on the delivery charge? Oh, uh, uh, $17.95. Oh, I was going to go twelve ninety five. Uh, it's actually eighteen ninety five now. Oh, oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. So it's uh, it is not uh, not cheap, uh, but it you know. But you're also it, paying eighty thousand dollars for a truck. So yeah. At that point, what, <laughs> nothing matters. Yeah, I mean, you're like, here's more money. <laughs> I mean, you can you can get a base, you know, uh, Ram fifteen hundred starting at about thirty seven grand. Right. Um, you know, which is still, you know, an exceptional truck, um, and, uh, uh only slightly, uh, more fuel efficient. So, <laughs> um, so no, I mean, it, aside from the fuel economy, you know, this is, this is a really nice truck to drive. So that's the Ram Rebel, Ram 1500 Rebel with Hemi V8. There you go. All right. Uh, let's get into some of the items of the week. We already talked about Nactoy. We did. Uh, going back to your comments about the uh, the control dial in the uh, in the Mazda three. Let me be clear before you even start this. It's not the buttons. It's a spinny dial in the yes. Mazda that I object to. It's not buttons. Okay, continue. Okay. 
All right. Well, <laughs> you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. There, there is, I, I'm no, okay no, no, with no, no, buttons. No. I just don't like spinny dials. Okay. There, there was a new uh, study that was done by the uh, Swedish car magazine, uh, V. Billigar, um, that uh, looked at 12 different models of cars, um, including a 2005 Volvo uh, as a baseline. Uh, and they, uh, they had a series of 12 tasks that the drivers had to do. Uh, and they measured how long it took the drivers to do those tasks. Um, and uh, you, you might be surprised to learn that um, it took longer on cars that had only touchscreens than on cars that had buttons. And, in fact, that 2005 Volvo did it the fastest. Of course it did because you don't have to be not looking for something. You're not trying to get your finger not to hit the wrong thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, always with the, like – like 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 putting my arm and putting my hand up and bracing it on the screen so I can hit a button. That's oh my gosh, I do that too. Try like if it's a big screen and I'm trying to do something and yeah. I all things being equal, just give us old school buttons. Yeah. But please don't actually, give I, me I, a rotary dial. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, I misread it. It was actually only four tasks, uh, but um, you know they they measured how how long it took to do them in time and how far the car traveled during that time at 68 miles an hour. They did this on an empty airstrip. Um, the 2005 Volvo, it took 10 seconds to complete the four tasks in 1,000 feet. The best of the modern cars took 14 seconds, and uh, the worst took over 20 seconds. So that's uh, like at, double, at 2, right? 2,000 feet. Yeah. Wow. Yep. See, that's There's bad. things you don't need to do with the stupid... Uh, play your map there. Yeah, fine. <laughs> have some a couple of things there but for the most part just i just want to adjust the volume i just want to adjust my climate controls mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. it is too much and there's also too, there is just too much there i mean we don't need all the stuff that's on the infotainment like how often are there like apps and stuff on there and things that you can do that i just like, i have no need to do that while i'm driving i don't i, I don't yeah, I don't need to check the price of my stocks while I'm driving to the grocery store. I don't need to know, like, <laughs> I, like I can, this can wait. Like, there's a lot that can wait, too. So it's just stuff that you have so much information on there. That's part of what makes it harder to use. It's like four things to touch. Boom, boom, boom. You get faster at it. And, and you know, even, um, you know, the, the things that you do need to do, like adjust your climate control. Mm-hmm. You know, having to do that in a touchscreen display where you have to look at it. You know, is you know to hit those touch targets on the screen, is just, it's just a fundamentally bad idea. Yeah. You know, just you know, leave a couple of knobs, you know, for temperature and fan speed, um, and a volume knob, and you know, then you're good. I agree. I mean, I would just, I just my my first choice buttons, my second choice touch screen, my last choice. Whatever Mazda gave you. Whatever Mazda gives me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mazda. I love your cars. I love everything about them. But so I hate good. That dial. Yeah, that little spin dial is kind of a pain. It, it slays me. I hate it. It dies. All right. Um, let's stick with Mazda for a minute. Um, do you, do you remember Nicole the Mazda MX-30? I do remember the uh, MX-30. I think, I think they sold about 500 of them last year. A little more Ooh. than 500 last year. Um, you know, because, you know, it was such a great value, you know, and had a, a whole hundred miles of battery <sighs> range. Um, well, at the time when they when they launched it, they said, yeah, this isn't the only version of this that we're going to have of the MX-30. You know, they said we're going to have a, a plug-in hybrid version. And, uh, you know, it's been rumored for many, many, many years that Mazda would bring back the Wankel rotary engine 
um, for its upcoming electrified vehicles. And now they've finally done it. Um, for now, it's only available in Europe. There's no of indication of, of whether we'll ever get it here in the U.S. Um, or, or even if we'll ever get any more MX-30s here in the U.S. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I, believe, I believe they are going to ship some more MX-30s here. Um, and, uh, and actually there, there is going to be, there are going to be plug-in hybrids from Mazda on other models, uh, coming here this year, in fact, uh, just, I'm not sure if this is one of them, but, um, yeah, they, they brought back the rotary, uh, as a range range extender extender for the the MX-30. Strangely, Strangly, you know, know, what they they did, did, you know, it's, it's an interesting interesting configuration configuration because the the reason, the the nice thing thing about a rotary rotary engine engine is it's it's really power dense. dense. It's It's really compact compact for the amount of power it produces. And so the way they've got this packaged, they've got the drive motor, they've got the, the gears, the final drive ratio that sends the, the torque to the wheels. There's the generator. And then there's the, the rotary engine on one end, and these are all in line together, and it all fits in there you know, in less space than a normal internal combustion engine would take. It's an 865cc rotary with, I think, like 78 horsepower or something like that, uh, if I recall correctly. Um, and uh, uh, it, uh, uh, it, it will, uh, it, yeah, so it runs, but it, it runs the generator, to keep the battery charged so you can keep driving. So once the battery is depleted, you can you can keep driving on this thing. But for some strange reason, unlike when BMW did this with the i3 and did their range extended version, they, they took a little boxer motorcycle engine and put it in the back. Um, but they kept the same size battery, although BMW only put like a two and a half gallon gas tank in there. So you couldn't actually go very far. You know, it was basically really only for emergencies. Yeah. For some reason, mm-hmm. Mazda cut the battery size in, in, almost in half for this thing, for the MX-30. So it went from a 33-kilowatt-hour battery to only 17.8 kilowatt-hours. And it's rated at, I think, like 85, uh, yeah, 85 kilometers of driving range, so a little, little over 50 miles of driving range. So you went from 100 to 50 miles of electric driving range, and now you have the rotary to keep it going, although at least it's got a 10-gallon gas tank. So... Oh, any thoughts on this thing? Is this going to save the MX-30? No. No. It's not, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't feel like a Mazda. That's the, that, that's the thing. I think you guys asked me a while, like, what's the difference between, like, why is the M30 not work, but the uh, Mini SE works? I mean, because the Mini SE feels like a fun, it's a fun car. It feels like a Mini. The MX-30 just feels like something Mazda threw together and didn't give any, they didn't put that Mazda-ness in there. Yeah, I don't. I, I think the same thing. I just don't think it feels. It doesn't have the fun of a Mazda. It it, it feels like they just okay. We got to do this, so we're going to do it. Here you go. We did it. Yeah, which is disappointing. Sad. It is. I like that little cork. I like the cork interior, even though eventually it's going to be like a like a dirty cork interior. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's going to be I so. Just filthy. Like that little thing. I'm like, oh, and it has a little suicide door in the back, and I'm like, oh, it's like the i3. It but, looks yeah. so just cute. It looks your, really just don't cute. Let your kids inside this thing. Yeah, yeah, your kids are going to destroy it. It's got like felts, kind of like that felt sort of bits in there, and it's got cork bits oh, in there, and yeah. it all looks beautiful. And you know how you're talking about the kids and the sticky fingers and the getting stuff everywhere? Nightmare fuel this car if that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the designers probably had a great time with this thing, uh, but you know, from a practical standpoint as an owner, it, it might be 
maybe not so great. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on then. Um, Toyota's got uh, another different solution. Um, you know, they've been experimenting. I mean, they've been Toyota's been big on hydrogen fuel cells for a long time, and they're still pushing that with the Mirai and and with heavy trucks. But uh, the last year or two, they've also been playing around with internal combustion in hydrogen. They've had uh, a, a, a GR Corolla that they've been racing in uh, in Japan uh, that runs on hydrogen. It's fueled by hydrogen, um, and now they have uh, built. An old they they got an old AE eighty six uh, you know which the 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 old uh, Celica coupe um, from the what early eighties I think it was yeah I think it was early eighties um, and uh, they have outfitted it to run on hydrogen um, and it, it still has the uh, the, the classic four AG uh, four cylinder engine in there uh, but they put a hydrogen tank in there and it's it's burning hydrogen. So it's not a fuel cell. It is it is burning hydrogen. Um, and uh, what do you think about this idea? I remember the Hindenburg. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! No, I, I, I you know what? No, I trust Toyota to, to, to be able to mail the cars, not to explain. I mean, all cars are essentially you're making you know heat and energy in order to push it forward. So that's that that wasn't a fair. It's still fun. It's a funny thing to say, but uh, I, I you know I. I in Japan and Korea, hydrogen makes sense. In the United States, still not so much. I would love it if we had a really nice hydrogen infrastructure, because then you're like, oh, I just plug it in, it charges up or fuels up, and then I, I, I get on my day, and the only thing I'm spitting out is water. But we don't. And Toyota hasn't done anything to, to make that, that network better, which is, you know, you, you can't push it without, you know... You yeah. you gotta you other than than partnering but not putting any money in partnering without any money is just like hey this is my friend Phil he wrote a book oh <laughs> you're gonna help pay for no 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 I just want to tell you about Phil and his book anyway let me tell you about the Prius <laughs> yeah I I think that, like the whole hydrogen thing is like a nifty cool idea but I mean we can't even get the EV thing let's let's get that thing figured out <laughs> since we're kind of all in on that I think or most of us are except for Toyota who is very much like no we're not going just that route and only that route it is not the future there are other futures so um I mean I admire the idea of going to hydrogen but um there's still a lot of there's some issues there you know I've hey, only we're, ever We're up to 53 hydrogen stations in California now Oh, wow. well, never mind. Well, forget <laughs> it. The prob- problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. You can, you can, there's even a hydrogen station in, uh, near Reno, uh, or, uh, north of, north of Lake Tahoe. Where, where is this? Oh, it's in Truckee. That's where it is. It's in yeah. Truckee. That's yeah. So Lake Tahoe. So, yeah. you know, for trucks that are going up over the, up over the mountain and then you get yeah. to Reno, you're like, oh no, now what? <laughs> <laughs> now you got to turn, turn around and just roll back down the hill till you get back to Truckee. I guess. <laughs> Just let it roll. What's well, uphill to Truckee from Reno? Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, Truckee's the t- t- Truckee's Lake Tahoe essentially. Oh my yeah. gosh, we have a hydrogen fueling station. I think we. Oh no, wait, we have a. We don't. Never oh. mind. I was gonna say, call it a Mirai. It's a we nice don't. Car. The only thing we have are three CNG. I'm look. There's this that got the random website from the government that lists whatever the, how many the there alternative are. fuels data center. Yes. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking at. That's that's, that's my usual reference for I have, finding where where all these yeah, oddball I, stations are. I, we got nothing. We got some propane. You need some propane. We got propane. Uh, we got some CNG. But yeah, we don't even have biodiesel here. <laughs> what happened with bio? That was such a big deal in the early 2000s. Like, oh, it smells like French fries. No, it doesn't. 
but it didn't. The, the, you know what? The movie theater near us had a vehicle they had that ran on the leftover, like it had somehow used the grease from their violators to do a biodiesel oh. thing. And then remember that they had like a wrap that was all these like French fries on their car. <laughs> yeah, they have a biodiesel like fueling station near here. Of course they do, because you're in that. California. Yeah, we just we're like, yeah, whatever. You got all the fueling, whatever it is. They're like, sure, Everything bring it on. We'll build what one. do you want? We'll build one. We'll, we'll build, build you least, one. We'll build at least one and see what happens. That's yeah, our that's yeah. that's our thing. You know what? We'll make one. Let's see what happens. It, it might works not cool. go anywhere, it but we're gonna build one for the yeah. four people who still own it. Come on out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there are over there are now over fifty thousand uh, EV charging locations, public EV charging locations, with one hundred and twenty nine thousand, almost one hundred and thirty thousand. Uh, charging ports. So we're making a little progress there. There is none anywhere near me. There's literally none anywhere. Well, they're all, they're it, all at I mean, my house. Hawaii. We, we, there's one in Hawaii. Yeah. There's one in yeah. Hawaii, according to this, and everything else in California. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we are making prog- progress, though, with uh, hydrogen because there are now more hydrogen stations than there are liquefied natural gas stations. There's only 51 <laughs> LNG stations. Well, so, see? Okay, yeah, so we made a commitment to something. And yeah. It's not liquefied natural gas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Um, oh, uh, Mercedes-Benz apparently is planning to ditch the EQ badge, um, possibly as soon as the end of 2024. Uh, you know, automakers have been bringing out these special, um, you know, sub-brands for their EVs over the last several years. And I guess the question is, you know, as as these brands go all electric, you know, if you know, it's like the it's like the thing is, if everybody's special, then nobody's special. You know, do we actually need <laughs> special yeah. EV badges for 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 EVs if everything is an electric vehicle? It, it you know, it's funny. It was that way with hybrids too. Do you remember early hybrids? Not even plugins, just hybrids had like. You, you couldn't miss them because it's like the logo's green or light blue and there's leaves and it's pretty and we're in nature. And they're like, wait, everybody has one of these. Let's back off on that a little bit. So yeah. it kind of makes sense. There's a point where it's like, this is no longer the new, this is no longer new and different and exciting. So why are we, why are we making this the highlight of the badge? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, once, once, every, you know, and particularly for Mercedes, you know, the way they've done it is kind of confusing you know, because in the in the past, you know, with the gas models, you know, you've got the S class and you've got the GLS. You know, so the GL something, that were those are the SUVs, and you know, then you had you know A, B, C, E, and S class for the cars, and you know, uh, GLA and GLB and GLC and E and S, and now you've got EQS and EQS SUV. You know, it's it's. it's it's get, all getting kind of confusing. You well, know, evidenced and, by the fact I couldn't even remember what I was driving last week other than it began with an EQ, and I had to look yeah. at our spreadsheet from last week. Like, it's, it is confusing. <laughs> yeah, and soon everything from Audi will be an e-tron. You know, it's like, yeah, do we, do we even need the special, special badging anymore? I'd, right. I'd say probably not. Yeah, even if you put s class e or whatever but yeah the 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 brand the the ev branding is going to go away for everyone at some point everyone's going to have their like oh you know what it doesn't matter here's it's a it's an ev here's the, the company i hope oh, does it first is toyota though <laughs> Why, i, I just toyota. wanted to get rid of bz oh, i just wanted i went to toyota just to come in and be like here's the rav4 yeah and, and then very quietly say hey. <laughs> <laughs> really quiet really yeah, yeah. i i yeah that bz 
And it's the way it's written. It's like, what is it? Lowercase b, capital Z, yeah. or lowercase x. Every time well, I, I think it's uppercase up, x. I, I, see, I don't even know. I just make it stop trying to mess with me with the nomenclature on your vehicles. And I think, <laughs> I think the lowercase b is actually supposed to be superscripted. Yes, so just, it looks, oh, it's a, yeah. which is not happening for me. I'm like, no, no you'll get a lowercase b and you'll be happy with it because that's all I can if, manage. If you're, you'll be luck, you'll be happy if you even get that much. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then and then Subaru's already done. They're like Solterra. I know. Go yeah. Subaru. It's Thank just a car. It's, it's just, just a, a car. Name. Solterra. I love it. It's the sun. It's the earth. It's, it's an EV. Everyone's really excited about it. We're sorry that, that Toyota didn't do a better job with it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Shh, details. <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, Subaru knows it's – of all the automakers, Subaru knows, it, like, knows and connects with its drivers more than anyone, I think. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Solterra. I was like, yay, here's a dog in the back. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Just give them a puppy and everybody will love it. Yeah, just throw a just throw a dog in it, make an ad, call it love. There, you'll start. Call it love. <laughs> love, son, dog, souls. Yep. All right. Speaking of knowing and connecting with its customers, um, <laughs> <laughs> Chevrolet. Um, so this this episode, we're recording on Sunday, but it's not actually going to come out till Tuesday morning uh, because the information we're talking about now is under embargo till then. And it's the 2024... Corvette E-Ray, the worst kept secret probably in the history of Corvette. <laughs> Correct. Uh, yeah. And uh, so the E-Ray, if you haven't been paying attention, is a hybrid. Bum, bum. Yay. <laughs> Any thoughts? <laughs> it's it, fine. That's all yeah. we'll drive. That's nice. You know, I, can't, you. I, I can't get past the typo that's highlighted in red when I brought this open in my press release. The removable roof coop. <laughs> I can't get all I can see is this typo. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. In the it's it got highlighted in red because of how yeah. I opened it up. Like my my document's like that is a misspelling. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the the Corvette E Ray, um, they they basically they took the the wide body look from the Z06. So it's got the got the Z06 wide body, but in place of the black trim pieces in the grill and and the the rear fascia and on the side scoops those are all body color now so it's it's all body color um the the only real visual difference from the z06 is the the wheels which are these sort of twisted five spoke wheels and the exhausts which have the outboard exhausts the outboard quad exhausts instead of the the center quad exhaust that the z06 has so it's got the same exhaust as the standard stingray um, and the engine is the 495 horsepower small block LT2 from the Stingray performance package, um, or the Z51 package, I guess it is. Uh, and then they added 160 horsepower electric motor to the front axle, just a single motor. So there's no electric drive on the rear, no dual motors like the Acura NSX had for torque vectoring, just a single electric motor. Uh, and then a lithium ion battery in the, um, uh, center tunnel uh, between the seats. Uh, it's a 1.9 kilowatt hour battery that, um, according to Chevy, will let you go. If when it's fully charged, you can go about three to four miles on electricity, uh, and uh, uh, up to 40, up to a speed of 45 miles an hour. And they have, you know, whereas in a Prius or other Toyotas with hybrid, they have an EV mode button. In the Corvette, they call it the stealth mode button. So you Cute. can. 
you can sneak back into your neighborhood on electric drive, <laughs> you know, when you're coming home late at night or leaving early in the morning without without waking up the neighbors. Um, interestingly, one one of the questions that came up during the uh, the briefing call the other day was whether this uh, the battery was the Altium battery technology that they're using on the um, on all the EVs on all the new EVs, and they said no, it's it's uh, it's not the Altium battery um, because the development of this car predates the start of the Altium program, which seemed like a kind of an oh odd statement. Wow. Because Altium has so, been going on for a long time, which yeah. means that this this thing, you know, is seven going on years a really ago. Long time. They're like, hey, wow. let's, make a, let's put an EV, let's put a hybrid, a Corvette. Okay, and, it's going to take ten years. Yeah. All right, we're, we're on it. Well, which is really odd because mechanically, it's not that it's not as complex as like a Prius hybrid. You know, basically, mm-hmm. you're just adding an electric motor. And, and some half shafts to the, the front axle and the battery. You know, the, the rest, you know, you don't have this, you're not trying to integrate it into the transmission like you do on a lot of hybrids. Um, so I'm not sure quite why it took so long, but it's here. Uh, you know, the starting price is going to be like a, for the coupe, is going to be 104500 I think. Something like, it's 104000 and change. Um, and uh, with dealer markups, it'll probably be about 150. Um, <laughs> goes on sale later this year, um, and um, uh, it has roughly the same performance as a Z06. Uh, so total output is uh, 600, uh, 655 horsepower, and uh, actually more torque than the Z06. I think. It, uh, uh, shoot, I gotta find the number here. Uh, it's like 570 foot pounds of torque. Um, so it's actually more torque than the, the twin cam V8 in the Z06. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, zero to 60 is gonna be about two and a half seconds, they say, which is roughly the same as the Z06. So, and why would you get this one? Why would you get this over yeah. Z06? Yeah, um, and if you want, you know, if you want all-weather driving capability, you want all-wheel drive. Yeah, um, it's actually, so it's the all so it's the all-wheel drive that you're getting this one for. Yeah. It's like the same yeah. price as the Z06. Yeah, yeah, same. It's actually same, wait, same it's actually price, cheaper. Same performance. It's actually cheaper than the Z06. Yeah, it's a thousand dollars, and or it'll so probably cheaper. be uh, probably be slightly more fuel efficient than a Z06. Okay. So. So you get um, all-wheel drive for the same money. So you get all wheel. So it's basically for your all wheel. So it's literally all wheel drive. The E part is kind of like meh. Yeah, then you three miles. <laughs> Come on. And so like the E part, I'm like, wait. I was somehow when I reading it, my brain went more to the E part than the all wheel drive part. But I'm like, no, really, the E part's meh. The all wheel drive part, yay. But you can't. But you can. You can leave the the neighborhood without waking up your neighbors too. But why would you do that? South. Why would you do that? Why South. wouldn't you like? I'm you a could, good person. <laughs> you, you aren't Robbie. You lie. No, you, <laughs> I wake up my neighbors. Good. You're you're not very courteous, Nicole. I'm a terribly not courteous. No, I actually feel super guilty every time I have a loud car in an early flight. I'm like I'm like oh, hitting no, the no, start no. button and sort of apologizing. I'm like sorry. The, the other thing is the E-Ray will be available as a convertible, which the Z06 is not. The Z06 okay. is move only. So another uh, selling point. Okay. And, and the E-Ray for that $104,295 base price includes uh, Brembo carbon ceramic brakes as standard equipment. Okay. So there's some extra little. It's a better value. It's a better yeah. deal. Yeah. Um, you do get. Uh, on the E-Ray, it does come with Michelin Pilot Sport all-season tires as standard. 
but you can you will be able to opt for Pilot 4S summer tires. So if you really want to take advantage of that performance, um, what you would probably be better off doing, in fact, I think just in general, what you're better off doing is just getting the, uh, the summer tire package and then an extra set of wheels and some winter tires. Because if you're going to drive it all year round, you know, 670 horsepower uh, on, you know, or 655 horsepower on snow or ice, just not a good thing with all season tires, even with all <laughs> Not just, good. Just not get good some at proper all. tires. Yes. So skip, skip the all seasons, get the Pilot 4S summer tire package and an extra set of wheels and, and some winter tires, and you're good to go. And there's your weekly PSA to buy winter tires if you live where it's cold. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Every time. Uh, yeah. So that's the 2024 Chevrolet Corvette E-Ray coming probably sometime later this summer. Yeah, same price. Yeah. Yeah. It's the okay. better deal. Get it is the better price. deal. Get a little extra, you get a little extra something, something. And some better brakes. I'm a big fan of brakes. Brakes. Yeah. Braking is good. Braking is yes. good. It's important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, so we got a couple of questions, a couple of listener questions um, before we wind up uh, from Adam J. on uh, Mastodon. Uh, so what's the different or what's the deal with the Cadillac Lyric delays? Do we think it's supply issues of production, production problems or production problems like software? Um, I think, I think it's, it's supply. I, I think it's actually both. Um, really? I think. I think. Yeah. I think that there are software issues too. Um, what makes you think that? Did you hear something, Sam? Um, nothing specific, but the uh, the Lyric is the first of uh, GM's vehicles to shift over entirely to a Qualcomm compute platform for oh. the ADAS, as well as yeah, the infotainment system. Okay. And they, they've basically had to rewrite the entire ADAS system, including Super Cruise, uh, for this thing. And I know, yeah. you know when we did the, the, the launch drive program last June in Park City, uh, Super Cruise was not functional yet. They had not pushed out that, that update. And they said at that time that it was going to be coming out later in the year. Um, my guess is they're probably still having issues, some issues with that, and they don't want to put too many of these up. I think they've only sh- delivered, by the end of the year, they had only delivered something like 140 of these. And wow. my guess is probably all of them are to GM employees. <laughs> I, I, would, I, yeah. I, I, I would guess that none of these have gone to actual retail customers. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're probably still playing around with the software, trying to get the software right uh, before they really ramp up. Plus, they, I know they have also uh, had some issues ramping up production at the Lordstown uh, Altium battery plant. Um, so that may be also a contributing factor. Uh, but I, I think the software is likely a bigger issue with the, uh, with the Lyric. They probably don't want all the articles about software like that uh, Volkswagen had to deal with. Yeah. Because once all those cars went out, and they were essentially telling people, "Hey, we know the software sucks. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. it'll be cool. It'll be cool." <laughs> and it yeah, took I mean, like a year, over and, a year for everything to get fixed. And even without Super Cruise, you know, when we drove it back in June, 
Yeah, it was. It had some pretty major bugs in the infotainment software and in the cluster and everything. Yeah, and so I think they probably. I know that they've had some updates since then, um, but uh, it, it's. I think I would guess that there's probably still some issues that they're dealing with. Yeah. And then the last question, uh, also from Adam J, uh, was. Uh, just read this advice about not using your hazard lights in low visibility conditions. I must admit it's the first time I've heard of this in 30 years of driving. Um, if, uh, let's see. I had always been told that, actually. To not use your hazard lights? To not use the hazard lights when you're driving. And the yeah. reason I had always been told that, that was one of those dadisms. I think it was one of those things my dad told me when I was like first learning to drive that people do because they think it, you can, and I think that's kind of what this, this story says. The, oh, you'll see me. The flashing light lets you see that I'm ahead of me if visibility is bad, but it also confuses people and people think if your hazards are on, are you in the breakdown lane? Oh my God, have I veered into the breakdown lane? Mm -hmm. Like, are you stopped in front of me in traffic? It causes confusion and it mixes people up to whether you're hitting your brakes. Like, are you slowing down and braking? Are you driving at speed with your hazards? It, it's supposed to confuse. And so that had always been told no. And I, and I knew that in some States it's actually illegal to do it. Yeah, I wasn't aware it was illegal, but it does make sense that you would not want to drive with your hazards on, uh, because it, you know the, the it and would low be visibility yeah. and low visibility. If it's just like a nice day, it's a nice beautiful day, and like you're having an issue, stay in the right lane, and put your hands on. Right, like if you're right. generally having a creep. problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're trying to, yeah, I mean, if you're like half a mile from a rest area or an off ramp, and you're you're creeping along slowly, trying to get you know to someplace safer. Yeah, right. Then yeah, That's put right. your hazards on in that scenario. But right. um, I mean, if low the visibility is that low that you need hazards, you should probably just be pulling over anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's the other part of it. If it's so bad that you think people can't see you without your hazards on, then per chance you should get off the road. You know, yeah. find a safe place to to wait out whatever the issue is. You know, yeah. D- don't deviate from what people anticipate. Don't 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 be the person who's like, oh, I'll just let everyone go at the stop sign. No, just go when it's your turn. Just you know, don't put your hazard lights in low visibility because that's not what people are used to. They're used right. to seeing lights. Put your turn your lights on, which you should have your lights on whenever your windshield wipers go on or visibility yes. goes low. But also, you know, just drive. Yeah. <laughs> don't do anything exactly. weird. Don't be like, oh, I'm helping people. No, that does not be, help people. You're be making predictable. things <laughs> be predictable. predictable. Predictability is very important, and I know. I had I I don't know if I told the story. I had a friend on a motorcycle, and sometimes people are like, "Oh, just go, just go." If you have a motorcycle oh, and it's God. not your turn, and you're like, "No, no, 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 you go," because everyone else at the stop stop uh, stop sign or four way stop is waiting for you. They are not waiting for me to go. And if you don't go, they're like, "Well, I'm just gonna go," because it's not you know yeah. Don't just and my friend he would just take his hands off the the motorcycle handlebars and just stand just like nope. And just put his hands on his hip until the person whose turn it was to go. My daughter's she, she, it's her biggest pet peeve about she goes to school in Wisconsin and she learned how to drive here in the Northeast. And she said, everyone's too damn nice. They're always waiting. Like, no, don't. You're supposed to go. It's your turn. Don't let me go. You go. And then I go. Or the go. guy on the other side of me gets, no. She's like, she's like this dang Midwestern politeness. Stop it. No. <laughs> if you both hit the stop sign at the same time, fine. You can wave someone on. Right. But otherwise, but, yeah, no. don't 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 deviate from what is follow what, the what prescribed order of operations. Yeah, oh. or you know, if you're sitting you know at a at a red light, and you know there's a little bit of a gap in front of you, and somebody is trying to pull out of a a parking lot or something like that, um, you know, 
yeah, wave wave them in. You know, give give them the gap. You know, let them let them slide in in front of you. Things like that. They'll you know that's that's perfectly okay. But yeah, when if there's you know, in in normal situations, you know, like you said, like at like at a four way stop or something like that. You know, if you got there first, you go first. It's yep. as simple as that. Yep. Do what people expect of you. And and if two people, if two cars get to the intersection first at, at the same time, the one on the the one most furthest to the right yes. gets right of way. They go that first, the and rule. you go clockwise around mm-hmm. the intersection. Mm-hmm. I knew that too. I paid attention a little bit in driver's ed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and with that. Um, Got one more thing that I'm going to be tacking on here on the end, which is an interview I did with Sanjay Ravi, who's the uh, uh, director of automotive um, operations at Microsoft. Uh, so he leads all the stuff that Microsoft does with automakers and suppliers. Uh, we talked about uh, what you know how uh, companies are using their Azure cloud platform and and stuff. Some interesting stuff that um, uh, Microsoft is doing with Fiat around the metaverse. Um, and, uh, so that, uh, that will be coming up here. And, but for that, um, we're all going to say goodbye. See ya. Bye. I am talking today with Sanjay Ravi, who is the general manager of automotive mobility and transportation at Microsoft. Uh, Sanjay, welcome to wheel bearings. Great to talk to you today. Sam, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to connect with you today. So, um, in, at least in recent years, Microsoft is not uh, typically a brand that's been that associated with the automotive space. Uh, at least not you know not so much since the early days of Ford Sync. Uh, but what what is your your group your organization within uh, Microsoft doing? When kind of what 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 do you lead at Microsoft? So Sam, my my group is responsible for the industry business at Microsoft. So looking at all things movement of people and goods. So that means it's the automotive mobility and transportation parts of the business we have at Microsoft. And uh, we are focused on working with our customers, um, partners, and also all the internal stakeholders across engineering, marketing, to to bring the best value we can to our mobility customers. Um, So that's the focus the team has. So um, for, for Microsoft, who, who are those customers? Is that automakers? Is that suppliers? Uh, who, who's who's the, the customer for what you're producing today? So it is both the OEMs, the tier one suppliers, the supplier ecosystem. Um, so it, it covers the entire breadth of the automotive and mobility value chain. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, the, I think the last time that most people thought about Microsoft was probably in, you know in the late 2000s uh, when Mark Fields on, in 2007 at CES. Uh, it's what 16. It'll be 16 years ago uh, in a couple of couple of weeks um, from the time we're recording this. Stood on stage with Bill Gates to introduce Ford Sync, the original version of Ford Sync, and that uh, part of that was using a, a version of Microsoft Windows, an embedded version of Microsoft Windows in Ford vehicles um, as uh, as an operating system for the infotainment. But that's not what you do anymore, is it? So our um, um, areas of focus right now, Sam, spans the entire breadth of what we call as the intelligent cloud and intelligent edge. So think of this in terms of technology automakers would need 
to build the di digital ecosystems uh, for, for the digital platforms they would need for their ecosystems. So we provide the hyperscale capabilities and the advanced AI capabilities um, via the uh, intelligent cloud and also help them execute those within the vehicles through the intelligent edge. So that's the focus the team has. So it's evolved quite a bit since the, the times you mentioned. Uh, and cloud and what we do with AI is a pretty significant part of, of the business that uh, we are in today. And uh, what what sorts of applications uh, would companies be using your cloud platforms for? I know one area certainly is simulation, which has become increasingly important. But can you talk a little in a little more detail about some of the sorts of applications you see see your customers doing with automotive or transportation? Absolutely. So we go across five key areas in the in the mobility space, right? Starting off with what we call as the vehicle innovation space. So when people are driving connected vehicles, autonomous vehicles, or even software-defined vehicles that we are involved in right now, we are bringing in a number of key uh, capabilities, technology capabilities folks would need to drive their connected um, services at scale across the world. So that's that's one big area of focus. And when we talk about autonomous development, supporting the autonomous development tool chain, and also working with partners, we have a, a, a very rich set of partners in this, you mentioned simulation, in the simulation ecosystem that are delivering their services on top of Azure and our high performance compute and storage capabilities. So supporting the industry to get to drive those simulations at hyperscale and the speed that the industry needs today is a big focus for us as well. So all that comes under the bucket of um, the vehicle innovation space. Software-defined vehicle is also part of that. We are actively contributing to the Eclipse Foundation right now as part of the software-defined vehicle working group. We truly believe that the ecosystem need to come together and drive innovation in an open way. And that's our approach with Eclipse Foundation as an example around software-defined vehicles. So those are all examples of how, what, how we are engaged in the industry and bringing the breadth and scale of Microsoft from a technology standpoint. Then we go into the resilient operation space. Um, you know, all of us are going through a, a tough environment today with supply chain disruptions, and, and, and it's all the focus is all about how can we do more with less. And areas like manufacturing, efficiency, supply chain efficiency becomes key. So we work in that space with a number of different players in the industry, uh, including partners like Blue Yonder and others. We have our own capability from a supply chain platform standpoint. And a good example of that is the work we are doing with Daimler, um, actually, um, and I'll actually nick that part and I'll re repeat that. A good example of uh, that is the work we are doing with Mercedes as part of their MO360 effort. Uh, we are working with them on the factories using AI and data capabilities that will help them reduce about 20% of the cost um, as part of their manufacturing and operations. So again, very important uh, spaces where technologies like digital twin, IoT, and AI apply to bring those efficiencies on the factory floor can unlock a lot of value for customers today. Then the third area we focus on is around customer experience, where there's a lot of excitement going on today in terms of how can you support the entire customer buying process uh, with uh, AI and context-specific offerings 
but also with immersive experience um, through mixed reality and the metaverse. In fact, the whole metaverse is an area that we are deeply engaged in across the customer, but also the industrial side. On the customer sales and marketing side, and a good example is the work we're doing with TouchCast. TouchCast is a partner of ours that are bringing in very deep immersive experiences through what is called as a metaverse showroom. In fact, they just launched that um, with uh, Fiat uh, 500, where Fiat is using this technology to provide a very immersive experience uh, to people who can actually sit in their living room and, and get an immersive experience of the car and then interact with someone in the dealership or from a concierge service through Teams who can walk them through the different aspects of the vehicle and do this entire workflow in a virtual uh, immersive way. So that's again, an area that is evolving quite rapidly and there's a lot of hype around metaverse, but we are starting to see a lot of very practical use cases that are already coming to production. And um, so I touched on this from a sales marketing standpoint, but it's also on the industrial side. We are working with customers like ZF and, and Toyota where they're using um, capabilities like HoloLens and Dynamics 365 guides to help their employees do very complex operations in the factory and be supported by remote technicians or remote experts who are not sitting in the factory. Um, so those are all use cases that we are investing quite a bit today and also going to help people get more done with less resources. Then we get into the whole organizational productivity space that Microsoft has a, a, a lot of focus on. And this comes across all the traditional communication and collaboration aspects uh, of things. But one thing we are really seeing a lot of traction in the mobility space is to help end users build their own business processes in an agile way. And this is where capabilities like Power Platform come to play and folks can create new business workflows very quickly and then implement them without needing IT and very deep investments on the technology side. So in some ways, how can you democratize the usage of technology by people who are actually using the technology in companies? In fact, at ZF, we are working with them. They have about 10,000 plus applications created by their end users to support the business needs they have, and they can quickly change those processes based on the needs of the, their uh, customers. So that kind of gives you a glimpse of the areas we are focused on, and um, the data becomes central to all of this, and supporting the emerging mobility services also is a critical area that we are involved in. Um, so that's maybe a, a few different examples for you, Sam, in terms of how we are engaged with the industry and the technology that we are bringing in to meet the needs of mobility. So uh, just to follow up on a couple of those, um, for example, uh, yesterday I was speaking with uh, an executive uh, from one of the automakers, and I'm not sure if they're a customer of yours in this area or not, but we were talking about you know the, the state of the supply chain disruptions because you know consumers for the last almost two years now have had a really hard time buying vehicles because manufacturers can't build enough of them um, because they're often parts, you know, random parts that they can't get for a wide variety of reasons. And it started off with, with the chip shortage, but that ultimately ended up, the way he explained it to me, was that ended up exposing a lot of other 
weaknesses in the supply chain. You know, that was what kicked it off, but it wasn't the only thing. Uh, and now it's all kinds of different parts that, you know, become unavailable for various reasons. And uh, one of the things he, he mentioned was that they have had to work to increase their transparency. Traditionally, automakers have focused on working with their their tier one suppliers, their top level suppliers that integrate parts from the lower tier suppliers into systems that they provide to the automakers and put into the vehicles. And the automakers typically didn't look too deeply into what the tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers were doing. Is Are the, the tools that Microsoft provides, are those the kinds of tools that can help an automaker get better visibility into what their entire supply chain is doing? Uh, it's it's uh, definitely a, a core part of our focus, uh, Sam. So if I were to just highlight an example of the work we're doing already with Daimler Trucks North America, and this is something they had um, announced recently. So they're using our supply chain platform and, and they're, you know for them, with all the disruptions that is going on in the industry, they need to be in a position to address their customer's question, right? When will the truck be available and arrive? And of course, uh, they as Daimler Trucks North America is dependent on a lot of the supplies they're getting. And even if few of the components are missing, that's going to impact their delivery date. So getting visibility of all the inbound supply and then looking at the dependencies to um, make that commitment to the customers critical. And this is where we work with them. And the supply chain platform provides them the visibility they would need uh, so that they can address issues that come up and also be in a position to provide very definitive answers to their customers. Now, one thing I want to highlight is Microsoft truly believes that this is an area where we will have a set of capabilities through the supply chain platform, and we work closely with our partners. There are a number of supply chain partners who have very deep optimization capabilities, and so we, we work very closely with those partners as well to meet the end customer needs. Okay. Uh, another thing you mentioned was uh, Metaverse and, and uh, the, the recent Fiat announcement of some work they're doing there. Um, can you dive into that a little bit more? And you know, I mean, I think these days when people think of Metaverse, one's making the most noise about Metaverse. Um, you know, and it's all it's usually around VR goggles. Um, with what Fiat is doing, is, are we going to have to get a set of VR goggles to shop for a car in the future? Uh, it's a great question, Sam. The quick answer is no. You, you All you need is a browser uh, to get okay. that metaverse experience, right? So, um, so if you look at the space uh, from a technology perspective, uh, there are a lot of capabilities that start playing into it. And one, of course, is a, a immersive experience that can be provided through a technology like HoloLens. Um, but that, that, you know, and in fact, we have an example where uh, in the dealerships of Daimler, they have provided HoloLens to their service technicians. And this is a real life example where those service technicians can put on those HoloLens and navigate some very complex repair and maintenance operations and where they're not clear, they can, through teams, call an expert who might be sitting in Germany or Nashville or someplace, and then start showing them the problem that they're trying to address and get help and guidance. And the person sitting on the other side is seeing that immersive view as well. 
right? So and it might be through a browser or through the Teams uh, application. And this is a fantastic example of how um, Metaverse is enabling a very immersive interaction, solving complex problems that has the potential to completely revolutionize how people do their work, right? Because you're now able to get very deep experts to engage with you from remote locations to solve hard problems. Um, from a sales um, car sales standpoint, the example I mentioned with a, a Metaverse showroom, you could have a Metaverse showroom, and in fact, that's what we're gonna share at CES, where you can come in and it's a, a showroom with a few walls, and through that, you get a very immersive experience of a car, and, and, and people can understand different features in much depth, and then make those decisions. You could also get a very similar experience by sitting in a living room through a browser, where on the other end, you get to interact with someone uh, on a concierge site who can walk you through very specific features a vehicle would have, and again, present it to you in a three-dimensional way. So these are all examples of uh, what I'm excited about the space is um, we are getting rid of a lot of constraints. So when you are in a metaverse showroom physically, you can have a deep enriched experience. When you're sitting in a living room, you can have a much more um, deeper experience than what you can today by looking into a browser. So those are all the things that um, we, uh, we see evolving uh, from a metaverse standpoint. And the last thing I do wanna highlight, I mentioned earlier, is the industrial metaverse in use cases like the factory floor. Because now with digital twins, you're able to digitally represent a lot of the physical capabilities. And on one side, you can do a lot of simulation of different configurations of the factory floor and the machines and others uh, on the digital side. But with capabilities like Microsoft 365 Remote Assist and HoloLens, you are in a position to go through complex operations, training people, training new employees uh, with the experts not being in the factory. They can be anywhere in the world and train new employees on doing the maintenance and the repair operations in a very sophisticated way. So those are all the use cases that are being unlocked with Metaverse today. I think um, you know going forward, as as uh, manufacturers start to introduce you know a lot more EVs and, and a lot of new types of vehicle architectures, that type of um, virtual um, training and support environment is going to be increasingly important to help uh, to help the technicians in the shop understand how to fix and diagnose problems that they may not have seen before. Uh, so it's, I think, uh, I think we'll probably see a lot more of systems like Hololens and 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 other devices, whatever whatever is coming next uh, in the in the coming years. Um, as long as uh, as long as you know when we're when we're buying our vehicles online in the metaverse, we don't have to go into a virtual F and I office and you know mm -hmm. try to <laughs> fight off the uh, the F and I guy to, that's trying to sell us extended warranties. Now, I think this is the beauty of, of this is, you know, the end consumer is in control and, and everything is available for them. And in fact, there were some studies that have been um, shared where when people make their decisions by themselves, they actually buy more ac accessories than going to a dealership because they don't feel like people are pushing 
accessories on them. It is enough for them to go pick. And it's it's a fascinating uh, research piece of research that I saw recently where even opportunities for OEMs to upsell, it's more in these um, more immersive uh, virtual environments. Um, the, 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 the piece I would um, highlight um, is also the, um, you know, actually, let me uh, take a pause there. I lost my train of thought. So, so we'll nix it, Sam. We'll yeah. move forward. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, an, another thing um, that um, a couple of years ago uh, here at the American Center for Mobility, which is just a, a few miles away from where I'm sitting, uh, they made an announcement of a partnership with Microsoft. Um, and I don't know, can, can you talk a little bit about what Microsoft is doing with ACM, which is a facility is uh, to I think a public private partnership uh, that provides uh, a a place where automakers and suppliers and researchers can come in and test automated and connected vehicles and other advanced technologies. What is what is Microsoft providing there? So um, I think um, it, the, what we are providing there, uh, Sam, is the um, cloud technologies that they would need to support a lot of the workflows and the data uh, analysis um, capabilities that they would need uh, for those whole um, autonomous workflows. And this is a good example of how we are engaging with um, the market because Microsoft is working with a number of different organizations like ACM. So we can bring in uh, an, a different ecosystem players together and drive innovation um, as part of a larger partner ecosystem. So the work I mentioned to you uh, about the Eclipse Foundation is another example. Here we are part of the working group for Software Defined Vehicle and, and we are bringing our own um, capabilities that will be open source that the community can use. Uh, in the case of ACM, they leverage the Azure cloud platform to support um, their ecosystem players and partners. Okay, um, one one last thing I wanna ask you about, because uh, we're about out of time. Uh, are there any other things um, at CES, you know, as I said, coming up on the 16th anniversary of the SYNC announcement, anything else uh, that you're gonna be announcing at CES um, that uh, we should be hearing about? So Sam, we're doing some, you know, we've announced our partnership with General Motors uh, several months back, and we'll be, you know, see, you'll be seeing how they're leveraging um, our, the cloud capabilities and as part of the Altify platform, uh, some really exciting work that is going on there um, that, that will be shared at CES. And um, you will see a lot more about the whole metaverse topic we just covered coming from multiple dimensions, from the factory side, from a dealership side, from a sales and marketing uh, side. You will see um, the work we are doing with the broader autonomous development platform. There will be a few of the simulation players you mentioned who will be there highlighting how they are driving efficiencies using the intelligent cloud and edge. Um, so those would be all uh, capabilities that we'll be demonstrating the last thing I would highlight is, which is very topical right now, is doing more with less. So we have um, a number of customers there who would be talking about how they're driving supply chain efficiencies and uh, manufacturing uh, operational excellence using uh, Azure and our data and AI capabilities. So Setup would be one of those customers there. And the last thing I would highlight is sustainability. So our industry contributes more to carbon than any other. And, and that's a big focus for Microsoft, um, you know, as part of our effort to drive a, uh, a safer and more sustainable and productive um, ecosystem. 
We have the Microsoft Cloud for Sustainability that uh, will be shared at the event as well, and how the mobility companies can leverage that to manage uh, scope one, two, and three emissions and meet their own uh, sustainability targets and goals. All right, well, thank you so much for your time today, Sanjay, and hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. Great to catch up with you, Sam, and look forward to meeting you at CES. All right, see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you.